Well, hello and welcome to Church Online. I'm so glad that you're part of Church Online again with me today. I'm really excited about the series that we've been in. Today's the third part of a series that we're calling Operation. And we just believe that there are many of us in need of an operation. An operation means that we either remove or we repair something that is unhealthy within us. And in week one, we talked that we have a spiritual disease. We understood that we have something in our life that is not healthy and we need to get things right uh, spiritually before the Lord. Last week, we talked about the fact that uh, we have pre-existing conditions and these are the reasons that many of us have spiritual diseases. And every week as we've been uncovering some of these issues that you and I deal with, we've learned that it takes an operation. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks to us about an operation in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 13, where he says, Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he's merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. We talked each week about how in the Old Testament time they may rip their clothes physically as a sign of their remorse or their repentance. But the scripture is instructing us that we have to go uh, below the surface. We've got to get a little deeper to the root of the issue. We've got to have an operation in order to be Corrected. Sure, it may be uh, uncomfortable. Sure, we may have to endure. Uh, it's very personal. It's very invasive. But in the end, we become healthier because we've allowed God to come in and perform an operation in our lives. Today, I want you to buckle up with me because today's topic is really convicting. It's correcting. It's one that puts us back on course and moves us a little closer to the Lord. It challenges us in the way that we think and the way that we live. I titled your message today, Critical Condition. Critical Condition. I believe that the world that we're living in and the culture that we are consumed by has put us in a critical condition. Critical condition simply means that there are major complications and death may be imminent. Now what I'm afraid of is that the culture that is around us is in such critical condition that if we are not aware of what we are living in and what we are being impacted by and what is influencing our lives, that suddenly we too will find ourselves in critical condition. So today, I want to move us into the ER. I want to get into emergency surgery because of the critical condition that our culture is in. But the good news is that with early detection, as soon as we find out that there is a problem early enough, our chances of recovery are much greater. On December 7th, 1941, one of the most historical moments in our country took place with the attack of Pearl Harbor. 353 Japanese airplanes began swarming all around the harbor. And within just a couple of hours, American, uh, American lost eight battleships, six major airfields, almost all planes, and 2,400 men. See, what began at 7.50 a.m. was supposedly a surprise attack, but there are some startling facts that we have learned that shows us a little bit more. You see, that morning, just 50 minutes earlier at 7 a.m., while the Japanese warplanes were about 50 minutes away, 
Two U.S. soldiers on a small radar station out in the Pacific scanned a screen and saw dots beginning to appear until their whole screen was filled. These soldiers notified a lieutenant. This lieutenant thought the planes must be from California and without another thought said these crucial words, don't worry about it. See, there would have been time to scramble the planes at Pearl Harbor, prepare the battleships, and shelter the men, but this lieutenant, at the most responsible moment of his career, failed the nation with these words, don't worry about it. My fear for you and for me is that in this culture that we're living in is that we are under attack, that the enemy has called in reinforcements And he is trying to catch us off guard. But today, God has dropped us a moment. Someone watching the radar saying, danger is on the way. You must prepare. You must get ready. Do not bow to the culture of the world. You're in critical condition. And I'm afraid that many of us are living the life saying, don't worry about it. And so today, I want to talk about some vital signs that you and I have. I want, to, I want to check where we are in the context of the culture that we're living in to see that possibly, potentially, uh, we're living in a very critical, conditioned time. And so I want to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into Daniel chapter 3, where we're going to spend our morning together. And we're going to learn from a famous story in Scripture of three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that also lived in a culture of critical condition. And we're going to learn from their actions and their decisions and how they navigated the culture that they were living in. So I want us to pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for every person who's tuned in online today and a part of this online experience, every person listening to a podcast. I pray that today you would challenge us in your word, God. Bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So take a look at uh, Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I want to give you context of today's message. Look at it with me. It said, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon, Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officers to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up, all the really important people. So all of these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow down to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You see, these people were living in a culture that was in critical condition. Why? Because a king, someone in authority, someone who had the ability to lead people and put an impression on people, led them to something that was far from God. You see, every time your life and mine, the culture that we in and the times and seasons, every time they shift into a critical condition where our vital signs begin, 
begin to become unhealthy, it is because we move as far away from God as we possibly can. The king said, we're not going to recognize the one true God as our ancestors had done. We're going to omit all the things we've learned from our history, and we're going to set up a God of our own, and we're going to do it our way. You see, we're going to take the authority into our hands. We're going to be the rulers of our own destiny. So I'm going to set up, and I'm going to set the rules, and every day we're going to bow down, and we're going to worship something that is not God. We have no other gods before me, God said, but instead of that, we're going to turn our back, and we're going to worship the gods in which we create. As I look around at our world today, I believe that we are doing things in our culture that is putting us farther from God instead of closer to the heart of God. The things that the Bible teaches us that we're to stand on and we're to live by and that we are to hold our life to, instead of embracing that, we are resisting that and we're living a way that bows down to things that are not of God. God. And so I want to give you three things that I believe today that we do in our life and in our culture. I want to give you our vital signs. And the first is this, is that we compromise. The very first step in moving away from our relationship with God, in moving away from the Word of God and the laws of God and the heart of God is that we begin to compromise in our own life. Look at what happened with these people. The king sets up this plan. He gets all the important people around so that they can be the influence. You see, he got the people that everyone is watching and everyone is listening to that everyone was captivated by. He got them on board, and he said, then you will all bow and worship. They began to compromise in verse 3. Check this out. So all the officials came, and they stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They all came, and they stood. Nobody said, wait a second, I don't think this is good. Wait a second, I don't think this is what God instructed for us. Wait a second, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't sound right. This doesn't look right. As a matter of fact, this is the exact opposite of the blessing of God. We have seen this before. We have seen people fall into rebellion and into sin, and they only reap destruction in their life. But when God is first, they reap blessing in their life. But instead... Not even a conversation is had, and it simply says that all of these officials, they came and they stood before the king. And they stood before the idol, and they just began to watch, and they began to consider, and they began to compromise. It's like a soldier who fought in the Civil War, and he couldn't decide if he was going to fight for the North or if he was going to fight for the South. So he puts a jacket on that represents the North, and he put pants on that represented the South. And do you know what happened to that soldier when he got out there in the middle of the war? He got shot from both sides. You see, he was wearing the, the recognition of the North, and he was wearing the recognition of the South, but he belonged to no one, so he was shot by both sides. That's what happens when we try to live in two different worlds. We cannot live and embrace and clothe ourselves in this culture and anticipate ourselves not falling into a critical condition. Listen, we can't be in the world and of the world. The Bible says we are in it, but we are not of it. We are different. We are strangers and we are pilgrims. We are simply passing through this world on to the next. And while we are here, we are a 
a representation of the kingdom of God. We are a little representation of who God is. The problem is we want to live in sin and still go to heaven. We want to live in both worlds. We want to live in the sin of this culture. We want to embrace the sin of this culture. But we anticipate still going to heaven. We live in disobedience, expecting to reap the benefits of obedience. Many of us live in disobedience, expecting to reap the rewards of obedience. See, what I'm afraid of is that this culture is shaping our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions and it's causing us to compromise. We compromise in a lot of different ways. And our churches today, and I want to warn us, every person watching, listen, I want you to be very aware that there are many churches, there are many pastors, there are many people coming in Jesus' name that are compromising on biblical truth. They're rewriting the Bible. They're reinterpreting Scripture. They're redefining what God's Word actually says. And God's Word is the absolute truth. We can't pick and we can't choose. We cannot compromise on biblical truth. We can't compromise on the basics. Listen, I'm urging us today, many of us who would say, I'm a believer, I'm living for Jesus, we compromise on the very basics of our faith and prayer. How many of us omit prayer from our life? We haven't talked to God unless there's some catastrophe or there's some problem or a financial issue or a uh, relational issue or something happens where we need Him, that's when we engage in communication with him we're compromising we're compromising on our worship some of us we can sit in a worship atmosphere with our arms folded and our mouths closed and our hearts detached and we are in a moment of worship and expressing love and appreciation to the one who created us and who saved us and redeemed us and set a home for us but yet we compromise and who gets our worship we worship big on football days and then we're tired on Sundays. We compromise on our scripture. Today, for many of us, will be the only scripture that maybe some of us will hear all week long. It's never been easier than it is right now to get God's word in your life every single day. There are free apps, the Bible app, download it. There's free devotions. There's the Bible reading. It will audibly read to you, there, but we are compromising in these areas. Baptism. Baptism is the first step for a believer. When you say yes to Jesus, then you need to jump in that water and be baptized. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches us to do. It's what Jesus modeled to us. So why do we compromise on the basics? Because we live in a culture that is in critical condition. We are compromising on our gender, on our sexuality. We're compromising on abortion and the livelihood of unborn babies. We compromise in our finances, in our integrity, and in our character. We compromise in our freedoms, and we compromise in our rights. I want to stop and pause and ask you, are there areas of your life in which you find yourself living in compromise? Compromised has led our culture to critical condition. And death is imminent. The second thing that I believe that we do is we conform. Once we begin to compromise, then we begin to conform. Notice what happened in verse 7 in Daniel chapter 3. It says, So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people 
Whatever the race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, I want you to notice something that I find really interesting in this. I love that it shows the unity of the people. It shows the commonality of the people. It shows the conformity of all of the people. It said that all of the people, whatever the race, whatever the nation, whatever the language, it did not matter. There was no division. There were no barriers. When they began to hear that music play, they bowed down and they worshipped the idol that the king had set up. Why did they do it? Because everyone else was doing the exact same thing. And church, I want to encourage us today to learn from history that is behind us. You cannot conform to culture. You must be very aware of how culture is forming and shaping and preparing the way that you think and the way that you feel and the way that you act. Culture wants to conform our life from godly action to worldly action, to godly decisions to sinful decisions. The Bible says that we are in a war, a spiritual war, not against flesh and blood. No, this is a spiritual thing. This is a spiritual attack that the enemy has put on our culture so that will invade our lives. It's invading our churches. It's invading our families. It's invading our politics. It's invading our leaders. The world around us is being impacted by a culture that's in critical condition. And it has happened time and time again throughout history. It happened in the days of the Bible and it's happened in recent years of our lives. And then you dip back into history. And one of the most fascinating moments of history to me was the Holocaust. And I've often asked questions and wondered how did they get so far involved? How did they allow their society? How did their culture get so far into something that was so harmful and that was so cruel and that was so evil? How did people not stand up and fight against it? How did they not stand on a standard of morality and of love and of kindness and of care to their fellow human beings? And then out of the documentary, The Last Days, here's what some of the survivors said about that very thing. They said, people wonder, how is it that we didn't do something? We didn't run away. We didn't hide. Well, things don't happen at once. Things happened very slowly. So each time a new law came out or a new restriction, we just said, well, just another thing. It will blow over. When we had to wear the yellow star to be outside, we started to worry. You see, culture comes in and it's, it's a slow process. It's no prayer in school. It's no prayer in public places. It's uh, just the rights of women and their unborn babies. Their lives don't matter. It's a slippery slope. But when one steps in and we, we just simply come in with this idea that, that we can compromise and we can stand and we can just watch what everyone's doing, and then we begin to conform thinking it's all going to be okay and it's all going to go away. We're not usually good 
and fighting against conformity. Everything in our culture is that way. The way we dress, the clothes we wear, the styles. Come on, Chip and Joanna Gaines get on HTV, HGTV and they start destroying houses and rebuilding into little farmhouses and suddenly we're all ripping our houses apart and we're installing shiplap. Why? Because it's the trend. It's the thing that everyone was doing. So that's what we all get on board with because we're so easy to conform. Psychologists did a study where they took people inside of an elevator. It's one of my favorites. And they still study this today in many schools, the, psycholo- the psychology of people and the psychological effects of conformity. And they put people in an elevator, and they all stand with their back to the door. Most of us, our common normal nature is to get in an elevator and stand facing the door. Yet they put everyone, everyone backwards And when people got on the elevator, unsuspecting, not knowing that this was a plan, this one individual stands the right way. But from floor one to like floor three, by the time they reach it and other people are getting on the elevator, standing the wrong way, by the time the ride is over, this person is standing just like the rest of the people in the elevator. You can Google it and you can watch that video yourself. Here's what I'm saying. Even though the rest of the world is standing and facing the wrong way, stop using the words, don't worry about it. We need to be very aware that it's happening and what to do about it. So we conform, and then number three, we confirm. We confirm. This is important because your compromise will lead you to conform, and then ultimately you begin to confirm. Notice what happened in Daniel 3, verse 12. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you've put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. These people were mad about it. These people were tattletelling. They were running to tell the king that these guys weren't bowing down. They are now confirming the king. No one stood around and said, hey, we should be doing something different. This is probably not the best thing. No, as soon as the music played, they began to bow down in conformity, and now they're confirming the sin that is happening. It's Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, it says although people knew God and they knew about God and they had had a relationship with God, instead they turned their backs on Him and they began living in sin. They began inventing sin and they began affirming people for living in their sin. If we're not careful, we will get on our soapbox of different things that we have conformed to And we'll begin to confirm it. It looks like a woke society. We've become woke. And we've got all these new ideas and these new trends. And and it's completely uh, counterproductive to God's word. But yet we're woke now. We begin to make our post and we let our words be known. And we embrace sin in the name of social justice. Yet it's got nothing to do with God's standard and God's way, which is always the best way, but we use it in the name of social justice. We form our organizations. We begin to rewrite our laws. We begin to cast our votes, and then we give our money. We get all in confirming things that are far from God. And today, I'm just telling you, watch the news, read your your social media posts, get out there in a conversation with somebody, and it doesn't take long to realize that our culture is in critical condition. 
And my prayer is that us as believers, as the church, we would respond in such a way as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded. Their response was never to bow down. They said they're not going to go that route. And it doesn't matter what happens to them because the the law was that if you don't worship and you don't bow, they're going to throw you into a a furnace. They're going to burn you alive. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the outcome of their decisions. But there were three things that I want us to learn today from their response. And this is what I would call a rapid response. When we're in critical condition, we need a rapid response. We need something to take hold quickly. And the first thing that you need for a rapid response is courage. If you're going to stand in this world, if you're going to stand against our culture, if you're going to fight against finding yourself in a critical condition where death is imminent, it's going to take Courage Courage in the Greek is translated to mean boldness and confidence. Today I need you to have boldness and confidence in who God is and what God says about your life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt this way. Look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 with me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. We don't need to defend ourselves. We don't need to explain ourselves to you. We have courage. We we don't belong to you. See, you may be in charge of this culture, but God is in charge of our eternity. God is in charge of my soul. You see, it's hard to have courage when death is staring you in the face. It's hard to have courage when everyone else is going the opposite way that you're going. And suddenly, even though it should be very clear that they're moving into danger, suddenly you look like the crazy one because you're going the opposite way of everyone else, even though you're walking into safety. But the Bible was prepared for this because God knew that that because of sin, we would be fearful people. That's why the Bible is full of fear nots. As a matter of fact, some people will actually say there's 365 fear nots, one for every single day of the year. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about fear more than that. He gives us uh, encouragement about our fear even more than that. The Bible says fear not. And then he gives us a reason to have that courage. You see, God doesn't just say, don't be afraid, fear not, and then leave us hanging. No, the reason that we can fear not and have courage and boldness is because of him. Throughout the Bible, statements like, do not fear, I am with you. They're all through Scripture. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. For I, God, the Creator, the One who's in control, I am with you. Don't be afraid. The Lord will fight for you. Why am I not afraid? Because God's the one fighting the battle. It's not mine to face. It's not on me. It's on Him. So I'm not afraid. God's fighting this for me. I'm not afraid to step out and to uh, fight against culture. Why? Because God is the one who is doing that for me. The Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid of them. Hey, this time tomorrow I will hand all of them slain over to Israel. See, I'm not afraid. I don't walk in fear. I don't live in fear. I'm not worried about this culture. I'm not worried about what is said to me. If it is taking me farther from God instead of bringing me closer to Him, I will fight against the culture in which we live with great courage because God is fighting for me. 
Obedience opens the door to blessing. Courage comes from the care and the commitment of Christ. You get your courage from the care and the commitment that Christ has for you. I love this quote. Terry Nance, the author of God's Armor Bearer, made this statement, and I think it's powerful. He said, keep your eyes on the resurrection and you can endure the cross. Keep your eyes on the resurrection and you'll endure the cross. So you have courage to get through the cross because you know the resurrection is coming. You have courage to get through this culture because you know Jesus is coming. He's still in control. No matter how dark, no matter how bad, he's still in control. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. They did not worship something that was not God because they had courage. And then number two, they had confidence. They had confidence. The courage gave them confidence because God is going ahead of them. God's fighting for them. So they had great confidence in who God was. Today, do you have confidence in yourself, in the culture, or ultimately is your confidence in God? Daniel 3.17 says, If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able. What is he able to do? He's able to save us. You see, we have some confidence killers. It's our abilities, because we know we're not good enough on our own. Our circumstances, we look around at the culture and go, I will never be able to overcome this. I'll never be able to withstand this. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. So my circumstances robs me of my confidence. And then our emotions, oh man, our emotions will drain us every single time. But let me give you some things you can be confident in. You can be confident in God's power. God's got the power and the ability to do anything that he desires to do in your life. You've got to trust in the power of the God who is fighting for you, in the God who is in control of it all, the God who has already won. Because at the end of the book, we know God wins. And we choose who we stand with and what team that we play on. You can trust and you can have confidence in God's principles. They work. That when you obey God's word, blessings come your way. That when you walk in obedience, it opens the door to blessing. And so that when you are obedient to him, he is there with you. He is there to protect you and to help you and to carry you and to give you wisdom and to give you the ability, the words to speak and the actions to take in the midst of a critical conditioned culture. God's promises. If God said it, it's for you. If God said it, you can receive it. You can trust it. It's His promise. He is, he is trustworthy. So look, have a little courage and boldness today. Stand up. Put your chest out. Say, I, I'm a child of God. I belong to the King. I belong to the one who's in control of it all. My dad's got this covered. Have confidence in who your father is. And then number three, this is the most important, I believe. It's your conviction. It's the convictions of your heart. A conviction is a firmly held belief that guides our actions, our decisions, and our directions. Your convictions is that firmly held belief that literally props your whole life. It's your decisions, your actions, and the directions that you take in your life. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, in the face of a critical condition culture, their convictions were strong. Notice what they said in verse 18. But even if he doesn't, remember verse 17, if he throws, he may throw us in the furnace, but he'll save us. He can. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it very clear to you 
your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Man, what conviction. You know, your conviction fuels your courage and your confidence. That when it's in your conviction that God is who he said he was, it makes you have courage and it gives you that confidence. And then that, that conviction that says, even if he doesn't save me, even if he doesn't show up in that fire and bring us out, we are still not going to bow to the things of this culture. We're going to stand for the truth of who God is. Your convictions, my convictions say that Jesus is our source. He's our healer. He's our hope. He's our provider. He's our peace. He's our redeemer. He's our rock and he is our savior. My conviction says that my life will be given to the Lord for all the days that God gives me on this planet that I will belong to him and it will not be a politician. It will not be a government. It will not be a local authority. It will not be anything of this world to convince me anything different than God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. So they can play their music, they can throw their party, and they can set up their idols, but we will not bow. God gets our worship, God gets our life, and God is the one who brings redemption. Listen, this critical condition culture will rob you of everything God has for you. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these three Hebrew boys, they stood strong with, with great courage, with great confidence, and great conviction. And the king did throw them in the furnace. The Bible records that they were thrown into the fire. It was actually so hot. The king had actually said, make it hotter. And the guys who threw them in, the guards, they got close enough. The Bible says they burned up and died because the fire was so hot. But as the king watched, the Bible says there were three images that became four. And it seemed as if there was another person walking around in the fire. And it just so happened that the fourth person was the very presence of God right there in their midst. The king brought them out of that furnace. They didn't even smell like smoke. When the king brought them out of that furnace, he said, wow, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Listen, you can shape the culture around you. Early detection gives us greater outcomes of recovery. Today, I hope this is an early detection for your life that our culture is in critical condition and we must be aware of the schemes of the enemy and we must stand strong and we must stand for truth. I'm asking you today, would you consider embracing the truth of God and being so, uh, so courageous, having so much confidence and such convictions that you would stand in the heat of the battle in the critical condition of our culture stand for truth and be a believer that shapes the world and the culture that's around us. I want to pray that over us today. Will you bow your head where you are if you can? If you're driving, keep listening and keep your eyes on the road, but I want to pray for us today. Maybe you're watching and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and today would be your day. Listen, don't let any distraction get you. I want to pray for you right now that you can say yes to Jesus. And then I want to pray for all of us who are believers who are navigating this culture that we're living in. And I want to pray that today God would help us
to be who he's called us to be. So, Father, I pray for my friends watching online. I pray right now, God, that if there's any one of us that doesn't have a relationship with you, Father, we pray for forgiveness. Today we choose to put you first in our life. Thank you for saving us. Father, I pray for every believer who is standing strong in this culture. God, let us be people of great, of, of great courage, of great confidence, and great conviction that we'll stand for you and make a difference in the world that is around us. God, we love you and we thank you for encouraging us and emboldening us today to be who you've called us to be and stand in the flames of trouble. God, thank you for what you're doing in our life. In Jesus' name.